You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. For our scripture reading this afternoon, we'll turn to Psalm 51. For the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways. And sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Our text this afternoon is the word of God as it's summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 51. What is the fifth petition? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That is, for the sake of Christ's blood, do not impute to us, wretched sinners, any of our transgressions, nor the evil which still clings to us, as we also find this evidence of your grace in us, that we are fully determined, wholeheartedly, to forgive our neighbor. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, A man by the name of Richard Wormbrand tells a powerful story, first-hand account, of sin and forgiveness. His story takes place in Romania, sometime during the time when the Romanian Communist Party ruled, sometime between 1947 and 1989. This man, Richard Wormbrand, was lying in bed in prison, and he was in in a room, the hospital, you might say, in prison, the place where they only bring prisoners who are going to die. They bring prisoners who are so sick that it seems like they will for sure die, 
And he himself was suffering from tuberculosis, diabetes, and a host of other afflictions. Beside him, on one side, was a man, a pastor, in fact, who had been cruelly beaten and tortured by his captors. On the other side of him was another man, also beaten and bruised himself. But this other man had at one time been a guard at the very prison that they were at. And at some point, a fellow guard or someone had turned on him, reported him, so that he ended up in prison and now was lying in the same place as those that he had once tortured as a guard at that prison. In fact, he had been the one who had delivered the the beatings and the bruises that now threatened the pastor's life. One night, in the middle of the night, that guard, that former communist guard, called out, Please, pastor, say a prayer for me. I have committed such crimes. I cannot die. Waking up in the middle of the night, recognizing what he had done, realizing that the time was short, he was overwhelmed by his sins, and he did not know what to do with them. Can you imagine being in that situation? What would you do? This afternoon, our attention is on the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer. And in the fifth petition, our Lord Jesus Christ teaches us how to deal with sin. He answers the question for us, what do we do with our sin? In the fifth petition, our Lord Jesus teaches us how to deal with sin. We'll see that in in two ways. First, about seeking forgiveness. And secondly, about granting forgiveness. So in the first place, seeking forgiveness as a way to deal with the weight, with the debt, as our Lord Jesus teaches us in this prayer of sin. Now, forgiveness is a large, complex topic. It's one that that stretches the mind in order to understand all of its different aspects. And it's also one that's able to stir up a lot of powerful emotions because of the nature of forgiveness. So we can't deal with everything related to forgiveness this afternoon. That's not the goal of this sermon, nor was it the goal of our Lord Jesus' instruction about prayer. But... Our Lord Jesus taught us about the importance of two things, the two things that we will focus on. First, of seeking forgiveness, and secondly, of granting it. And so that's what we'll give our attention to this afternoon. And so, forgiveness. What is forgiveness? What is forgiveness? What is forgiveness all about? We'll cover some ground now speaking about forgiveness to get a sense of of what really the matter is all about when we speak about forgiveness. Forgiveness is about relationships. Forgiveness is about relationships. Forgiveness can only really take place 
in the context of a relationship between two people, between two persons, we should say. Forgiveness can really only take place in the context of a relationship between two persons. It happens as a result of something that has already happened, the result of some insult or attack or or rift that has caused a break in that relationship, that has caused hurt or created offense from one party with respect to the other. Forgiveness is about relationship. But to say that forgiveness is about relationship is in fact not enough. Forgiveness in the first place is about relationship with God. Relationship with God. That is what comes home very clearly in Psalm 51. In Psalm 51, David, King David, is dealing with sin. He has this burden, this debt of sin that's weighing him down. He's asking for forgiveness and he's doing that primarily with respect to his relationship with God. In fact, it's striking how focused he is on his relationship with God. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. And then verse 4. Against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. It was the relationship with God. It was the fact that David's sin was against God that was most important for us, for him. David, seeking true forgiveness, goes, first of all, to the source of forgiveness. The one only true God. Now, the occasion upon which David does this is well known. It's after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, and it's not mentioned there in the title, but he had subsequently been responsible for the murder of her husband, Uriah. So there was an occasion for David seeking forgiveness from God. It was the occasion of his sin. It was because of what he had done. That, that illustrates the obvious fact that forgiveness always has an occasion. Forgiveness comes as a result of something. It's a response to something that's already happened. Forgiveness is a way of dealing with sin. How do you deal with sin? Forgiveness is one way of dealing with it. It's one way that our Lord deals with sin. As God reveals himself in in Exodus 34... This passage in which he showed his glory to Moses and he pronounced his name before his face. It's what gets picked up in Psalm 103, which we already sang. But the character of God, this is what God says about himself. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. God is a forgiving God. He's a God who forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So what does it mean to forgive someone? What does it mean that God forgives people, us, from their sins? 
It means that he no longer holds our sins against us. Psalm 79, verse 8, Acts 7, verse 60, speak about sin as that way, no longer holding sin against someone. Now, in the case of God, who is holy and just, sin incurs guilt. When we sin against God, we are guilty of sin. We, we have that guilt. It, it clings to us. It sticks to us. And sin results in punishment. Because God is holy and just, sin against him results in punishment. So to be forgiven then is to have that guilt which clings to us because of our sin removed and to have that punishment somehow taken away. Considering the terrible effects of sin and and the prevalence of sin, considering how much we sin and how greatly we sin, forgiveness is an amazing way of dealing with it. It's the way that God, throughout his word, so often shows that that's the way that he deals with sin. But how, you may ask, is this forgiveness possible? Like, what does God do with our sin? Sure, okay, he washes away that guilt and he removes the punishment. But if sin is real, and it is, and if guilt is real, and it is, and if the punishments are real, and they are, then how can God just remove them as far as east is from the west? As Psalm 103 expresses. How does God actually remove sin? How does God actually deal with it? How does God actually grant forgiveness? Well, it's through the process of atonement. Through the process of atonement. We learn about this process in the Old Testament. Leviticus 5 deals with the sacrifices that the people of Israel were to bring. And it deals also with the forgiveness of sins as it speaks about the guilt offering. Leviticus 5, verses 14 through 19, the Lord requires the person who has sinned to make restitution for the wrong that they've committed by sacrifice. He says, you've committed a sin. This is how I want you to deal with it. Make a sacrifice. That sacrifice would effectively bear the guilt of their sin. And that sacrifice would bear also the punishment of the sin that they had committed. So there's two problems that come with sin. One, the guilt to the punishment. Both of those would go on the sacrifice that the Israelite, that the worshiper would bring. The wages of sin is death. And rather than the worshiper, the sinner losing their life because of what they had done, the ram or the whatever other animal they would bring would lose its life. And as that ram would lose its life, it would free the worshiper from the the necessary guilt and punishment that happens because of sin. So through the process of atonement, sin was dealt with. Forgiveness was accomplished and applied to the person who set their heart and faith upon the forgiving and compassionate God. Now that faith is is important. As David in Psalm 51 says later in, in the Psalm, he says, you don't take, you don't delight in sacrifice or I'd bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. 
<coughs> David is not saying that God doesn't demand atonement for sin. But David is saying that there's two things that are important. One is the contrite heart. One is the repentance and faith in God. And then comes the sacrifice, as he says later in verse 19. Then there will be righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings to delight you. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. And so that sacrifice of the Old Testament brought by the worshiper who who was contrite, who was humbled, who was repentant because of their sin, bringing that sacrifice to God, seeking atonement through the sacrifice as the guilt and the punishment were laid on the ram. That pointed forward to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who was given over as a guilt offering for our sins. He became the offering upon which was placed our guilt and our punishment. So that God could accomplish and apply the forgiveness of our sins. The forgiveness of the sins of all of his people who would come to him with broken and contrite hearts, repentant of their sins. And so amazingly, beautifully, thankfully, forgiveness is not a fantasy or an elusive dream. It's not, as some people have said, some sort of legal fiction whereby we say something is happening, but it's not actually happening. No, sin through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, is effectively dealt with so that God can freely, wholly, truly grant forgiveness of sins. The removal of that guilt and the removal of that punishment. It's true. 1 John 1 verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This is why our Lord Jesus Christ, as he taught this prayer to his disciples, taught them to ask God for forgiveness because God is the forgiving God and God is the one who has accomplished forgiveness through his son, Jesus Christ. No wonder That prayer is the most important part of thankfulness as the catechism teaches. How can you request and receive the unburdening of your offense toward God and have him forgive you for your sins, wash them away, purify you without immediately being filled with thankfulness and joy for his goodness? Praise the Lord that he is a forgiving God. And that we can call upon him in prayer and he hears us. And so we are to seek forgiveness for our sins. Seek forgiveness from God. We'll turn to the second part now, granting forgiveness. The reality of God's forgiving grace is incredible. But the irony is that Immediately upon saying and speaking about God's forgiveness and his grace of forgiveness and how powerful it is in dealing with sin, there is a strong desire to insert a but 
behind there. And not a small but, but a strong, urgent one. God will forgive you your sins, but. God washes away your sins, but. And you know what? That word is justified as it comes after that expression and the truth that God washes away our sins through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. Because there is a condition for forgiveness and it's expressed clearly in the context even of prayer of this Lord's prayer in Matthew 6, the verses 13 through 14. At the end of the prayer, the Lord Jesus teaches and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then he says this, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. This is the point, not that our forgiving somehow makes God forgive us, but rather that God cannot, will not forgive us our sins if we are unforgiving of other people's sins against us. And we need to be careful how we process this. We need to understand this right. The, the temptation in hearing this is to put a limitation on God's grace. God's grace is sufficient for you as long as you meet these prior criteria. God's grace is powerful, but it can only work if you first accomplish something yourself. But the point is not to impose a limit on God's grace but rather to recognize the surprising extent of God's grace. God's grace is not so weak that it can only work in response to our ability to forgive. No, God's grace is so powerful and extensive that it makes us able to forgive others. God's grace is not limited, but God's grace is so powerful that it makes us able, as we ask God to forgive us our sins, It teaches us to forgive others when they sin against us. The catechism expresses that very point. As it says, we find this evidence of your grace in us that we are fully determined wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbor. So the condition isn't a limitation on the grace of God, but it's an expression of the extent and the power of God's grace. Remember that forgiveness is about relationship with God. And so even when we are talking about forgiving our neighbor, when they sin against us, we must still keep that in relationship with God. This is clearly expressed in Jesus' parable of the unmerciful servant, a parable that illustrates the dynamics of forgiveness. I'd invite you to turn there. We'll look at that parable Matthew chapter 18. The context is that uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. The context is that Peter is asking Jesus how many times he should forgive his brother when he sins against him. And our Lord Jesus sets forgiveness within the context of relationship with God. I tried to think about how to summarize this parable, but we'll just read it because the point is quite clear as our Lord Jesus Christ gave it to us. We'll begin at verse 23. 
Matthew chapter 18 at verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered him, ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now the ratio between 100 denarii and 10,000 talents is a ratio of 600,000 to one. So he owed one six hundred thousandth of what the servant, the first servant owed to his master. So he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what he, what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. And the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as, as I had on you? In his anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back everything, all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you, unless you forgive your brother from the heart. The point is clear. How can you claim forgiveness for the vast offense of your sins against God if you cannot forgive the relatively small offense of someone else's sins Against you. It cannot be. It cannot be. There is no wiggle room. In this parable of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in his teaching. It is a hard thing to hear. But hear the word of God we must. You cannot be forgiven your sins. If you continue to hold the sins of others. Against them. This is so hard to hear. That the church father Augustine. Called this the terrible petition. The terrible petition. But we must remember God's grace. What do you do if you are struggling to forgive your neighbor, your brother, your sister, your friend, your father, your mother, your child, a stranger, after they have sinned against you? That can be hard to do. What are you to do If someone has sinned against you and you are struggling to forgive them. Can God's grace not help you in this situation? Yes, it can. Seek the grace of God in prayer. It is the grace of God that works in you and changes your heart and teaches you both to receive and to grant forgiveness It's not as though you have to 
try and find this desire to forgive in your heart apart from God. And once you do that, then you can move over to God and say, okay, I've worked it out myself. Now help me forgive me my sins. No. Seek the grace of God in everything. In the seeking and the granting forgiveness. Look to the grace of God. Look to the grace of God that that has forgiven, that has sent Jesus Christ. Look into the forgiveness that God has accomplished through Jesus Christ. Search its depths. Understand the extent that God has gone to to forgive you for your sins. Discover its breadth. Discover how much it covers this forgiveness of God. Humble yourself under the power of God to forgive sins. Know the power of God. Sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sins as an atoning sacrifice. And then heed the words of the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. Forgive as God forgave you. If you struggle to forgive, then look to that forgiveness that God has accomplished in Jesus Christ. Look to the grace of God that stands behind that forgiveness and learn from it. Be changed by it. And we have to realize that forgiveness between two people is of a different character than that between a person and God. God's forgiveness is like a secured forgiveness. It, it actually washes away sin. It's secured through the atonement of Jesus Christ. God's forgiveness is effective in washing away and cleansing sin. But if, if I forgive my brother when he sins against me, I can't wash away his sin. That's not what's being required as we forgive others. What I can do, though, is not hold his sins against him in terms of our relationship. I cannot remove the sin, but I can remove the barrier that has been caused by the sin from my side. I can remove the barriers of anger and resentment and bitterness and desire for revenge. That's what we are taught to remove the barrier when we are sinned against. So we can deal with sin in our relationship with one another. We can request forgiveness when we've sinned against someone else. And we can, in a limited sense, grant forgiveness. We can say, I will not hold the sin against you any longer. I will not allow anger, resentment, bitterness, desire for revenge to capture my heart. This is the way that we deal with sin in relationships. We forgive, and in doing so, we point the sinner to God's forgiveness. We demonstrate for them so that they can seek forgiveness from God, the one who can actually wash away their sins completely. What does this look like? Let's go back to those three men lying in that hospital in the Romanian prison. The repentant torturer, the tortured, and Richard Wormbrand in the middle. After that former guard had asked for help, the pastor got help from another, a few other prisoners who were laying there. He was too weak himself to 
to get up and to attend to that former guard. And so he asked for some help, and with their assistance, he shuffled over to the bed of that guard. They set him down beside his former torturer, and warmly, gently, he caressed the guard's head and spoke to him. And I quote now, this is what he said. I have forgiven you with all of my heart, and I love you. If I, who am only a sinner, can love and forgive you, more so can Jesus, who is the Son of God and who is love incarnate, return to him. He longs for you much more than you long for him. He wishes to forgive you much more than you wish to be forgiven. You just repent. In that prison setting, setting, where there was no place for intimacy, I heard this torturer confess all of his murders to the tortured one. Then they prayed together and embraced each other. Slowly, slowly, the pastor was helped to his deathbed. They both died the same night. The surprising thing about that story is that there were two men whose eternal destinies were in the balance that night. The guard who asked for forgiveness and the pastor who could have refused. But the grace of God didn't just triumph in one heart on that night, but it triumphed in two. And the sacrifice of Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross atoned for their sins. This, brothers and sisters, is the grace that we ask for when we pray, Our Father in heaven, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.